0: GX on Agriculture with Doug Falconer.
1: Good afternoon and welcome to GX on Agriculture. Coming up on today's program, the governments of Saskatchewan and Alberta are urging the Federal Pest Management Regulatory Agency to reconsider its decision on a crucial insecticide for farmers. Saskatchewan Agriculture Minister David Merritt himself is involved in trying to get Lambda sylothrin approved for at least the rest of this year. Also on today's program, a weekly overview of the wheat market has been provided by Michael Wilton of Mercantile Consulting Venture in Winnipeg. You will hear his report. And the University of Saskatchewan Crop Development Centre continues to work on new barley varieties. Plant breeder Aaron Beattie will join us on today's program. All of those stories and much more on today's edition of GX and Agriculture. But first, it's time for the agriculture outlook with precision weather. And that's a presentation of Milligan Bio. Milligan Bio now offers bio meal for your livestock, giving your animals more protein, more energy, and more of what they need. It's also brought to you by Sean Prahitka, your Remax Blue Chip Ag Division Specialist. Welcome back to GX on Agriculture. The governments of Saskatchewan and Alberta are urging the Federal Pest Management Regulatory Agency, or PMRA, to reconsider its decision on a crucial insecticide for farmers. The PMRA recently changed approved uses for Lambda-Cylothrin, an effective pesticide that many farmers rely on to control grasshoppers and flea beetles. Among other changes, it can no longer be used for any crop that may end up as livestock feed, and as a result, its manufacturers have pulled their products from Western Canada. Saskatchewan Agriculture Minister David Merritt outlines what he's asking for.
0: The industry, the uh, farm groups and uh, others, have uh, commodity groups have led the way on this as well, and we, along with Alberta, really know the importance of it as well. And it is, and I think uh, what we're asking for is an extension to uh, use it again until we do a real uh, good review on this one. Uh, obviously uh, the product is used in the uh, United States as well and there seem to be staggering out on uh, animal feed here but we also know that there's an awful lot of feed uh, that comes in from the United States into Canada, especially in eastern Canada and even into uh, you know parts of Alberta into the uh, feedlot alley as well. So, It's important that we do this right and, uh, and get it right and that's why we've asked for an extension so we can really do a thorough review on uh, you know what is the issue here and can we find a resolve for it.
1: He notes there's no really effective alternative for Lambda cyhalothrin.
0: That's the challenge we have, there isn't any and if we have another dry year uh, you know in Alberta and Saskatchewan and parts of it uh, you know uh, last year uh, I know friends of mine where the grasshoppers moved in and, and virtually destroyed their crops so uh, we obviously need a product that's going to uh, to do that for us, and until we find that, it's uh, it's really uh, disheartening that they would take a product off um, off the market as a result of that without doing a real thorough review on the impact. It not only has here in Canada, but the impact U.S. wise as uh, as they're still they found a way to uh, work with it. Why aren't we looking at what they did and try and come to a, a you know common resolve here?
1: Merritt says he's now working through federal government channels to get an extension for Lambda-Cylothran.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, we've sent the letters, obviously, to our federal minister, and uh, obviously, Pest Management Regulatory Agency falls under health, uh, so we have to do the proper channels there as well. So uh, that is somewhat, you know, obviously challenging sometimes for the ag sector when we're dealing with PMRA, is uh, how do we really, you know, make sure that the issue we're bringing forward is a real priority for the ag sector and uh, hopefully we'll we'll get a quick response from them and and I would really hope that they would really want to extend this for a year and let's let's look at some alternatives or look at what the you know what the issue is here
1: and Merritt was in Melville yesterday to announce the 2023 Saskatchewan crop insurance program he says the information should be in the hands of producers soon
0: no, not really. I, you know uh, we haven't yet. obviously the uh, the envelopes and packages will start going out. I'm sure they're probably rolling out as we speak now uh, over the next week. And once the uh, you know the producers see their package, they'll see uh, you know how their coverage has changed. Obviously the prices have moved up. the coverage has gone up on average. We're up uh, over you know around four hundred and forty six dollars an acre on average. Uh, and we have seen premiums uh, go up as well. That's a result, obviously, with increased prices and also to also reflect the uh, large payout we made in 2021 as well, uh, Doug. So that's where, you know, premiums are up to on average about just uh, just under $14.80 an acre.
1: That's Saskatchewan Agriculture Minister David Merritt. It's time now for the AgReview portion of our program and that's a presentation of new era ag technologies in Swan River.
0: GX94, AgriView.
1: When it comes to policy, we know there can always be unintended consequences, even on the items that are not at the top of the docket list. One of these items that has slipped under the radar for many is the underused housing tax. The tax was initially developed and targeted at urban centres, but as John Barlow, the shadow minister for agriculture for the Conservative Party of Canada, says, it has created a lot of unintended consequences for rural Canadians. He says most farm and ranch families have multiple homes on their property, whether that's grandma or grandpa or your hired hand or temporary foreign worker, seasonal workers, etc., All of these homes, if they are not lived in for six months of the year, will be facing a 1% market value tax. He notes this could equal tens of thousands of dollars depending on the unit. Barlow says the caveat is that even if this tax doesn't apply to you, because the homes are being used, you still have to file the paperwork. Ignoring the paperwork isn't an option either, as you are opening up your operation to a fine, which could fall anywhere between the five dollars and $10,000 fine per home. Creditors for Merit Functional Foods are asking the Court of Kings Bench in Manitoba to appoint a receiver for the Plant Protein Processing Company. Export Development Canada and Farm Credit Canada have filed an application for the appointment of a receiver. With the court hearing expected to take place tomorrow, according to a notice distributed by Burcon Nutrascience Corporation, which owns a 31.6 percent share of Merit. Merit was founded in 2019 as a joint venture between Burcon, which owns a patented protein extraction technology, and several food industry veterans. Construction on a 94,000 square foot plant on the west side of Winnipeg started in the fall of 2019. The facility, designed to extract food-grade protein from peas and canola to be used in baked goods, meat and egg alternatives, and other food products, was commissioned in 2021 with a projected price tag of $150 million. Lucent Bio and Federated Cooperatives Limited, or FCL, have teamed up to distribute Solios Zinc, a new crop nutrition product, to Western Canadian producers. According to the North American soil test summary, zinc is deficient in 30% of soil samples taken in Alberta, 66% of those in Saskatchewan, and 61% in Manitoba. Solios is Lucent Bio's flagship technology and is manufactured at Solios AGT at Rosetown, Saskatchewan, As part of this new partnership, FCL will showcase the micronutrient fertilizer as its 2023 innovation product. Producers can look to field-scale trials designed to further demonstrate soliose zinc's effectiveness this growing season. Growers that are interested in learning more, including participating in an FCL innovation trial, are encouraged to visit their local co-op. Ocean freight rates have shown some strength in late February, with the Baltic Dry Index, or BDI, recovering off two-and-a-half-year lows hit earlier in the month. The BDI, a major indicator of bulk shipping rates, has risen for seven straight sessions to settle yesterday at 935 points, up from the low of 530 points hit on February 16th. The BDI had traded above 3,000 points as recently as May of 2022. Increased shipments of iron ore out of Brazil and Australia reportedly contributed to the increase in the BDI. The BDI is compiled by the London-based Baltic Exchange and provides an assessment of the price of moving major raw materials by sea. Canada is at a freight disadvantage compared to its competitors exporting grains and oilseeds into any many markets, with lower freight rates helping counter that disadvantage. And that's the Ag Review portion of our program. Please stay tuned. GX on Agriculture will return in 30 seconds' time. Welcome back to GX on Agriculture. I'm Doug Faulkner. It's sunny and minus 13 degrees in the Yorkton-Melville region. I'll have your complete weather details coming up at 1 o'clock. A weekly overview of the wheat market has been provided by Michael Wilton of Mercantile Consulting Venture. It was issued through the Saskatchewan Wheat Development Commission yesterday afternoon.
3: March Chicago wheat futures made fresh lows that haven't been seen since September 2021. The slide was due to a technical sell-off prompted by the Outlook Forum increasing corn and wheat production, and by China's support of the Black Sea trade corridor. In the significant purchases and cash trades, Iraq bought 240,000 tons of milling wheat from Australia, Egypt bought 240,000 tons of Russian wheat for first half of April delivery, Turkey made a direct purchase with the Russians for half a million tons of wheat, there was no price reported but they're expected to buy an additional 790,000 tons of wheat for March to May delivery. The US weekly export sales were 339,000 tons for a season total of 619 million bushels. This is down 6% from last year. And Some of the most important news that happened last week will start in Canada. The AAFC raised Canada's non durum wheat exports by 200,000 tonnes to 19.3 million tonnes. This is for the current marketing year. The increase in exports resulted in a respective decrease in ending stocks to 4 million tonnes. The decrease in beginning stocks for the upcoming season led the AAFC to decrease feed use for by 200,000 tonnes to keep ending stocks the same as before at 4.9 million tonnes. Week 29 wheat exports were slower at 312,000 tonnes. Total exports to date are 11 million tonnes, with 56% of the export season complete. Canada has exported 56% of AAFC's recently raised export projection. Although exports have slowed, deliveries have remained steady, creating a buildup of visible supplies. Visible supplies tend to build into the winter before depleting in the spring shipping season. For Durham, Week 29 Durham exports were strong at 105.6 thousand tons. Year-to-date Durham exports are now 3.1 million tons, which is 115% above last year's pace. Durham exports have been unseasonably strong considering Canadian Durham exports usually hit their seasonal low in February and then pick up again in March and April when the lakes open. The strong pace of exports is helped by exporters taking advantage of the relatively cheap freight from the west coast to North Africa. There is a large amount of visible Durham supplies which will help support the export pace in the coming weeks. North African countries are large durum buyers, but they also produce some of their own supply. Most of the crops in North Africa were off to a poor start because of poor conditions during the planting season. A lack of moisture in southwestern Morocco prevented many of the wheat and barley fields from being planted. Some of the dry conditions in parts of Morocco were alleviated last week with heavy snow and rain. Tunisia was also dry at planting season, but recent rain has brought some relief. Weather conditions from late February to April are the most important for production in North Africa. Durham prices in Canada were up slightly last week. If not sold, we would use this opportunity to finish sales. The seasonal trend is for prices to decrease from here until late spring. We would sell 20% of new crop at $12 a bushel. In the US. The USDA's outlook forum put US wheat area at 49.5 million acres. This is 1 million acres above trade guesses and 3.8 million acres above last year, or 8% higher than last year. If realized, this would be the largest wheat area in 7 years. Yield is expected to be 49.2 bushels per acre, which would be 2.8 bushels higher than last year. Ending stocks were put at 608 million bushels, a 40 million bushel increase from last year. The outlook forum numbers are usually used as starting points for the subsequent farmer-based USDA reports. The first one will be in May. Rain in northern and eastern Kansas and southern and eastern Nebraska helped to leave drought conditions in those regions. More will be needed. There is additional rain and snow forecast for the Southern Plains, which will be very beneficial. In Australia, harvest is complete in Australia and farmers are currently on holidays. In Argentina, FOB values in Argentina were pressured last week from competition with Brazilian wheat. Brazil has been exporting more volumes than Argentina as of late. In the European Union, winter wheat crops in the EU are coming out of dormancy and are in generally good condition. The lack of moisture in France is concerning, but the French Ag Ministry reported that 95% of their crop is in good to excellent condition. Crops in Germany and Poland are benefiting from rain and mild weather. The EU Commission took 400,000 tons of wheat out of their new crop wheat production estimate, now at 126 million tons. Low soil moisture reserves coming into the growing season was the reason given for the decline. In the Black Sea The current Black Sea Grain Initiative is scheduled to expire on March 18th. We expect that it will be renewed. There was additional pressure on the wheat market on Friday as China publicly called for its renewal. China has been relying heavily on the grain corridor to access cheap Ukrainian grain. For the coming week There is little in the mix to support a rally in old crop wheat prices. The funds sold many of their long positions and there is little to suggest them to buy it back in. There could be a bump in spring wheat prices as the charts currently look oversold. If it does, we would use that as an opportunity to liquidate all remaining old crop supplies. We would not extend new crop sales as the old crop new crop inverse is large and weather rallies cannot be excluded. That's Michael Wilton of
1: Mercantile Consulting Venture in Winnipeg. It's time now for the Livestock Market Conditions and their presentation of Heartland Livestock in Verdon. Livestock Market Conditions. U.S. live cattle futures for April are trading at 165.52. That's up 55 june live cattle trading at one sixty one forty five up fifty seven april feeder cattle trading at one ninety four ninety seven up seventy five may feeder cattle trading at one ninety nine fifty seven up eighty five april lean hogs trading at eighty four eighty seven that's up fifteen may lean hogs trading at ninety three sixty five down 47 and that's the livestock market conditions please stay tuned GX on agriculture will return right after this welcome back to GX on agriculture the University of Saskatchewan crop development center continues to work on new barley varieties plant breeder Aaron Beatty tells us what malsters and barley producers are looking for
2: On the producer front, uh, they're really looking for things like higher yield, better lodging resistance, and maintaining maturity within a regional time frame. Because uh, malt barley, you can't use uh, uh, harvest aids like glyphosate to dry down the crop. The malt industry won't accept that, so we can't let the crop get too late. On the disease side, they're obviously looking for better resistance. Some growers are maybe a little bit more tuned into trying to reduce the number of times they spray their field they're all interested in FHB because if you get too high levels of mycotoxins the DON mycotoxin your malt barley is definitely going to be downgraded to feed so that really impacts everybody and then on the quality side the quality really probably impacts the, the maltsters a little bit more, but the growers are looking for lower protein varieties to help with selection. A reduction in that tendency for the barley to chit in the field as well would be something that would be um, important to them as well as the malster. But uh, as we move into sort of what the maltsters are interested in, they're looking for basically good modification. So that basically describes the ease that you can turn that barley grain into malt. So uh, Does it happen fairly quickly? Does the grain take up water quite fast? Does it produce the enzymes required by the industry? Does it produce low levels of a compound called beta-glucan, which impacts uh, parts of the brewing
1: process? He says it's challenging to meet both needs from a breeder's standpoint.
2: It is in a sense that the more traits or the more goals that you have as a breeder, it slows down the overall process. If all we had to do was breed for yield, we would probably have varieties out there that are yielding probably 25% more than they are now. But the fact that you have this long list of characteristics just slows down the entire process because something like if you've got a great agronomic variety, great quality, but it's really susceptible to FHB, that's going to kill the variety right away. And so you've hit 95% of the targets, but you've missed one critical one. So um, it's mostly challenging from that point of view. We we do have very clear goals that are laid out by both the industry and growers, so that helps us know where we're going. But just the length of the laundry list gets longer every five years or
1: so. BD says another variety will replace Copeland as the top top malt malt barley variety soon.
2: I think so. There's talk right now where where we see some use of, uh, connect at times to uh, satisfy some customers' uh, use of Copeland, but I think right now the industry sees CDC Churchill as the replacement for Copeland. It, it's a lower enzyme variety like Copeland, but it has a big boost in yield right now with a much better disease package. So um, it seems to really fit the bill that uh, at least the monsters that have used it so far, I know RAR has done a fair bit of work with it already, they see that uh, Churchill probably is gonna be the one if anyone takes over from Copeland.
1: He talks about the advances made in improving lodging resistance in barley.
2: Yes in general the newer varieties like uh, Synergy, uh, Fraser, uh, Bow especially have improved the overall lodging picture in malting barley but certainly we can do better and, and that's part of the work that we've been doing at the CDC. Looking at characteristics related to stem strengths, looking at characteristics related to root architecture and how they impact lodging. And I think it's given us some insights that uh, we can attack lodging from different ways. There's not one right answer to improving lodging, which is good to know. And it's giving us some tools that we can apply even when we don't see lodging out in the field. So a year like 2021 that was so dry, absolutely no lodging anywhere. But if we can identify some that are associated with lodging we can still measure those and get some sense of how we expect these varieties
1: to perform. BD outlines the main factor when it comes to the root system.
2: Yeah, from what we can tell it's mostly about how the roots are oriented in the soil. So you can have some plants that have a lot of roots but if the orientation is not ideal, the plant's still going to fall over. And, and so what we're seeing is that an orientation where the roots are as spread out horizontally in the soil profile uh, before they start descending lower into the soil profile is important. So you need sort of like a, a very wide root system. We tend to see that that's more associated with better lodging resistance. So it's not about mass or even numbers of roots. It's about how they're the architecture of the overall system.
1: That's Aaron Beatty. He is the barley and oat breeder at the University of Saskatchewan Crop Development Centre. I'll have more with Aaron coming up in just a few minutes' time, but first it's time for the commodities update. And that's a presentation of Lane Realty. When it's time to sell the farm, call Lane Realty, your trusted and experienced farmland real estate company. To include your property for showings, call 620 7260 or visit lane.realty.com. Commodities update: Canola futures are trading down for the most part this hour. May canola trading at eight sixteen seventy, down seven dollars per metric ton. July canola trading at eight ten fifty, down eight dollars twenty cents. May Minneapolis wheat trading at eight sixty seven per bushel down one and a half cents May Kansas City wheat trading at eight fifteen per bushel down two cents May Chicago wheat trading at seven o six and a quarter down three and three quarters of a cent May corn trading at six thirty two per bushel down eleven and a half cents. May soybeans trading at fourteen eighty-two and a half. and a half, that's down 30 and a quarter cents. May oats trading at 3.39 per bushel, down four and a half cents. And that's the commodities update. The University of Saskatchewan Crop Development Center continues to work on new barley varieties. Plant breeder Aaron Beattie has been talking about the new varieties that many of the malsters and barley producers are looking for. And he also discussed loxless traits, which deals with the taste of beer.
2: Yeah, so this was something that the Sapporo Breweries had uh, started work on probably going back 20 years now, where they were interested in trying to differentiate their beer from their competitors. And the way they thought they could do that was based on flavor. And so they knew that this lipoxygenase or LOX enzyme uh, produces a couple of different compounds that have different negative impacts on beer flavor. And so they were able to identify some natural variants uh, within wild barley germplasm that lacked this enzyme. so when we brought that particular gene into some of our varieties like Polar Star and Platinum Star, they saw that yep yeah, there was actually an impact on flavor. So it Im- it kept the beer tasting fresher for longer. Is essentially what that trait does. So um, it's an interesting characteristic because the brewers are very interested, and in it's a real impact. Everyone acknowledges that. I think sometimes the problem is translating that to the customer so that they actually understand what was. Done. And sometimes, probably like any industry, we probably get a little bit too lost in the weeds sometimes because, you know, most people probably aren't doing taste tests when they're drinking their <laughs> beer. They're not really paying that that close attention to uh, other than the first few sips. So telling someone that this beer is, uh, you know, X percent fresher than some other beer, it's hard to translate that and get people
1: interested in that. Beady notes smaller brewers are looking for different types of malt than their mainstream competitors.
2: Yes, uh, they are looking for different types of barley. So we kind of uh, divide the Barley varieties into two broad categories. So there would be sort of the the Metcalf uh, CDC Fraser type where Very high enzyme types that type is very in demand by say large brewers like ABM Bev or the Chinese market Where they're looking to create sort of lighter tasting beers, maybe lower alcohol beers So they're they're trying to get as much alcohol production out of their malt as they can And typically, they may use adjuncts like rice or corn grits to help in that process. Uh, The craft industry, not interested in that type of barley. Lower enzymatic type of barley, so something more like a Copeland or a Churchill, they're not using adjuncts, so they don't need as many enzymes to convert that starch into alcohol. So that's probably the big differentiator. The craft industry talks a lot about different flavors. So some of them will go back to old heirloom or heritage varieties and see if they can make a beer from that that has uh, some different kind of characteristic flavor-wise that they can differentiate themselves and so our work that we've been doing with Hollis barley to try to create Hollis malting barley is sort of down that vein where we think the lack of a hull when it gets used in the brewing process probably means you're not going to have some of those uh, astringent flavors that are associated with the hull so it might give a very different flavor profile to the beer which you know actually it's probably going to be of interest both to the craft but also those large brewers who are making these lighter tasting beers because I think they're seeing that the market these days the younger consumers of beer are actually a little bit more sensitive to that grainy taste in beer and so if you can kind of eliminate some of that that may actually attract some of the customers back to
1: beer. He says there's a few new barley varieties up for registration this year.
2: Yeah, I've got uh, two Hollis malting barleys up for registration this year. So, again, they're they're mainly focused on uh, improving agronomics within that um, Hollis category. So we know that the Hollis barley is always going to yield less than hulled barley because that hull is lost in the field. So that knocks off probably about 10% of the yield in comparison to the hulled varieties. But these newer ones that we're releasing are probably now in the ballpark of where Metcalf is for yield so it's not too far out of growers uh, experience in terms of yield uh, potential there and then as I mentioned you know on that quality front we see these big changes in terms of extract uh, with these Hullis types that uh, we're hoping are going to help entice some of the brewers into using these types of barley.
1: And Beattie notes that China seems more open to new malt barley varieties.
2: They seem to be. We've The Canadian Multi Technical Centre, along with some of the seed companies and, and grower organizations, have sent over a small container loads of some of the newer varieties to China at a sort of a discounted price to help them test drive these new varieties. And it's been a really nice system because they've tried varieties like Bow and Connect and Fraser, and they've accepted them as, as being uh, completely compatible with what they're doing over there. So I don't know exactly why they're a little bit more more flexible um, in terms of the uptake of these new varieties but I mean as a breeder probably as an industry it's, it's a very nice thing to see and and I expect that you know some of the grain handling companies uh, G3 maybe some of the smaller ones are maybe tapping into that a little bit more than uh, than the domestic industry right now.
1: Aaron Beatty is the barley and oat breeder at the University of Saskatchewan Crop Development Center. He was a feature speaker last week at the Top Crop Conference in Saskatoon. Please stay tuned, GX on Agriculture will return in one minute's time. Welcome back to GX on Agriculture, I'm Doug Falconer. GX on Agriculture is always available on podcast. Listen to past shows whenever you want. Find them easily by going to gx94radio.com. Also, you can hear the podcast on your Amazon Echo. Just enable the GX94 skill and choose GX on Agriculture. And yes, it is free. It's now 1 o'clock. Time to check the GX94 Precision Weather Forecast. For the Quill Lakes, Hudson Bay, Swan River, Broadview, Musiman Indian Head, and Yorkton, Melville, Roblin, Russell regions today, Partly to mainly sunny, winds north-northwest at 10 to 20, and a high of minus 11. For tonight, increasing cloud, winds north-northwest at 10 to 20, a low of minus 21. For tomorrow, partly sunny, a light southeast wind, a high of minus 14, a low of minus 21. For Thursday, mainly cloudy, winds south at 15 to 25, and a high of minus 5. For Friday, a 60% chance of early flurries, a high of minus 2. And Saturday, partly to mainly sunny, a high of minus 4. In the Paw, it's minus 16 degrees. Swan River and Brandon are at minus 12. Dauphin, minus 10. Shoal Lake, Russell and Roblin, minus 13. Regina is at minus 11, Saskatoon-Winyard-Wadena-Kelvington minus 15, Hudson Bay-Indian Head minus 14, Broadview-Mooseman minus 12. The Yorkton-Melville region has a sunny sky, a northwest wind at 11 kilometers an hour, 76% is the relative humidity, the temperature is minus 13 degrees. With the wind chill it feels more like minus 19 degrees. That's your agriculture weather and that'll do it for GX on Agriculture for today. Be sure to tune in again tomorrow at 12:15 for another edition of the program. It's time now for the news and sports headlines.